there are nearly two million women veterans who served and deserve the best care anywhere. At each VA medical center nationwide, a women veterans program manager is available to advise, advocate, and coordinate care for women veterans. Women veterans who are interested in receiving care at VA should call the Women Veterans Call Center at 855-VA-WOMEN or contact the nearest VA medical center and ask for the Women Veterans Program Manager. Oh, let's get it. Monday, July 5th, 2021. Born the Battle, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highly unimportant resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. However you listen to this podcast, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, the player inside the blog, hope you had a great 4th of July weekend celebrating the independence of our nation, 1776 and all of that. I know I did. At the time of this drop, I am on vacation in Washington State in a place without cell phone service, pristine countryside, probably just finished lighting off all the illegal fireworks I could get my hands on. I'll be back to the other Washington soon enough. Until then, I'm going to enjoy being back in my home state. One or two ratings this week and a review came in from MF Arnold 8762. MF Arnold, love it. Says five stars, episode 247, Suicide Awareness. Great talk about veteran suicide and how connecting with vets on hikes can heal by restoring connections and camaraderie. Absolutely, 100%. Donnie, Cindy, Nate, uh, the team over there at Irreverent Warriors, they have built a pretty special veteran sub-community focused on that. Who would have thought? Silky hikes would be the answer for so many. I actually went on one of the hikes back in 2019 here in DC, and I look forward to going on one again. If you haven't yet, please consider writing a review for Born the Battle on Apple Podcasts, just like MF Arnold did. Doing so helps us climb higher in the algorithms, giving more veterans a better opportunity to discover and learn about our episodes, our benefits breakdowns, our interviews, and what's in the news releases. News release time. Got a few this week. First one is a statement from Secretary, from VA Secretary Dennis McDonough. It says, as the nation emerges from the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, it's estimated that millions of Americans remain in need of mortgage and rental assistance. To provide continued relief to the veteran and service member community, the Department of Veterans Affairs is extending by an additional month the foreclosure and eviction moratoriums through July 31st. Extending the COVID-19 moratoriums and foreclosures and evictions will allow households that may have fallen behind on mortgages more time to recover. Ultimately, the ultimately the extension will help thousands of VA home loan borrowers stay in their homes and provide those hard hit by the pandemic the time needed to get back on a regular monthly mortgage payment schedule. In addition to the multiple ways VA already helps borrowers avoid foreclosure, the department is implementing a short-term mortgage repayment assistance program via the VA Partial Claim Payment Program to bring certain borrowers current on their mortgages as they resume regular mortgage payments. VA PCP will be available for COVID-19 impacted borrowers to help them remain in their home and continue to enjoy the benefits of home ownership. 
Once the moratorium ends, VA will take additional steps to prevent foreclosures on VA-backed mortgages until borrowers are reviewed for COVID-19 home retention options that are affordable. VA will announce additional steps in July to offer borrowers payment reduction options that will enable more homeowners to stay in their homes. Additionally, VA will also continue to allow homeowners who have not taken advantage of forbearance to date to enter into COVID-related forbearance through September 30th of this year. That's huge. The VHA Homeless Programs Office offers a wide range of resources and services for veterans facing housing crises, having helped more than 850,000 veterans and their families exit homelessness or remain in stable housing since 2010. The VHA Homeless Programs Office Supportive Services for Veteran Families program gives homeless, and we've done a, a benefits breakdown on that, gives homeless prevention assistance and has taken a proactive approach to reach veterans at risk of homelessness during the pandemic. The SSVF program shallow subsidy intervention initiative will also assist by providing a modest subsidy for two years to extremely low income veterans who are at risk, who are at risk of homelessness. Veterans who are homeless or at imminent risk of being homeless can call or visit their local VA medical center or contact the national call center for homeless veterans at one 877 vet That's 1-877-424-3838 for help. The White House Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and the Departments of Agriculture and Housing and Urban Development also have resources for homeowners and renters needing help. Now, there were a lot of links to resources in that statement, and I'll make sure to link the statement to the bottom of this episode's blog on blogs.va.gov. Just search Born the Battle, find the blog for episode 249, and the link to this statement will be in the additional links section. Next one says for immediate release, the winners of the Department of Veterans Affairs 2020 through 2021 Artificial Intelligence Tech Sprint are six tech companies that created programs aimed at preventing veteran suicide and improving their health care using the latest AI technology. VA's National Artificial Intelligence Institute competition encourages innovators to develop ways to improve services for veterans. Participating teams gave presentations and demonstrations that were judged by panels of veterans and other experts. In all, 44 teams from industry and universities participated addressing a range of healthcare challenges such as chronic conditions management, cancer screening, rehabilitation, patient experiences, and more. The National AI Tech Sprint Awards recipients include uh, first place and $50,000 to be Havidence for a smartphone application that monitors a veteran's activity, categorizes users by similar behavior, and flags for follow-up those at increased risk for suicide. Second place in 25000 went to SoCat Consulting, LLC, for creating a chatbot that can integrate with VA's Blue Button Medical Records Access. The chatbot can help veterans get answers to questions and better understand their health care between visits. Third place and $10,000 went to General Dynamics, IT, for an algorithm that can classify skin lesions and help medical staff determine if the quality of an image is good enough to make a skin cancer diagnosis. The intent of the sprint is to match the private sector with veterans, VA clinicians, and other experts who mentor the companies to brainstorm solutions and new ideas for over a three-month period. VA will further evaluate the best ideas and products to potentially adopt at pilot sites and then roll out nationwide. The next round of competition will open by the end of 2021. More information can be found at challenge.gov. And for more information, 
from the National Artificial Intelligence Institute. Go to www.research.va.gov forward slash NAII forward slash join dot CFM. All right. And the last one says for immediate release established in 2016, Pride is a 10 week health education program focused on reducing healthcare disparities among lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer veterans. It is the first program developed to care for LGBTQ plus individuals, both within VA and in the community. The program is replicable and includes a manual to help guide new participating VA medical centers. There are currently more than 80 veterans attending a pride group at one of the new sites and more than 500 veterans have been impacted by pride since tracking began in 2018. VA has set the goal of implementing in 50 VA medical centers by fiscal year 2023. Now, every VA hospital has an LGBTQ plus veteran care coordinator on site to assist LGBTQ plus veterans accessing VA services. To find an LGBTQ plus veteran care coordinator or learn about healthcare services for LGBTQ plus veterans, go to www.patientcare.va.gov forward slash LGBT. All right, so going into this video, I didn't think about the National Guard, them having a four star at the Pentagon commanding over both the Air and National Guards. I didn't know that the National Guard Bureau was a thing. Well, it is. And they also have a senior enlisted advisor, much like the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps or Sergeant Major of the Army. Well, this week's interview features the third senior enlisted advisor to the Chief of the National Guard Bureau. She is also the first ever female to fill a branch senior enlisted role. She is Air Force veteran Denise Jelinski Hall. Enjoy. Now you've traveled all over the country in your career. Uh, why did you choose Colorado as your post-military home base? We, we spent almost 20 years in Hawaii, and that would be where I – that's where I wanted to go back to. I mean, sun, surf, sand, clear blue, 82, every day. I mean, it was just – oh, I loved it. And I love the people. After 20 years, I mean, that's family. That's Ohana. We I miss so many people deeply. But, um, Gary, you know, all of our family and friends – we're here on the mainland. And my husband, Gary, you know, he has um, three children in um, San Diego area and the grandkids are there. At the time, our parents were still living. It was just too far from family. So he didn't mm. want to go back there and live in Hawaii forever. So I said, OK, maybe not north, not south, not east or west. And it just kept going like this. And then it came down to sports teams. Well, I don't like that team. I don't like that team. And I knew all along it was going to be Colorado, right? I did. I knew all along. And is, I just is, he kept big, is he a big Denver fan of all oh, the sports no. teams? Oh, no. He is orange and blue all the way, fighting Illini, Bears, Bulls, Cubs, youth, all Chicago sports. But nobody wants okay. to live in the Chicago area, right? Okay. So, yeah. you know, four seasons, mild winter, no bugs, no humidity. I mean, strong military community resources as far as exchange and, you know, uh, access to military care at the hospital and golf courses, things like that, MJ, MWR. But mainly it was just the climate here. And people say, oh, the winters, it's so cold. We want to get out of here. I'm like, oh, this is so nanny panny these winters. Are you kidding me? I grew up in Minnesota. <laughs> He grew up in the Chicago area. I mean, this is nothing. <laughs> so we do. You know, we love it here. 
That's awesome. You know, I, you know, I, I did notice you had spent a lot of time in Hawaii. So I was wondering like, wow, why didn't, you know, you talk about uh, wanting to go back to Hawaii. And my wife yeah. was born in Hawaii. She was born at Schofield uh, Barracks. So I always wondered, you know, so being two, two hours, you know, 20 years there, I was like, well, you know, and that's such a good reason to like live in Hawaii to have your kid. Hey, hey kids, come spend your vacation at grandma's. Exactly. You know? <laughs> but, but you know, what I found is once they, once family came for that one time, that was the last time that you know, it's a one and done type of thing trip to yeah. Hawaii, right? There's yeah. other places to go and see and things like that. So that's what I found is that once family came the one time, then it, the travel was all on us after that. Gotcha. Very yeah. good. Uh, so from what I can tell, and I've just perused the born the battle, uh, previous 135 episodes that my predecessor did before I became the host, but I, and I could, so I could be wrong. But from what I can tell, you were the first senior enlist advisor to come on board in the battle. So congrats. Yay. Another first, another first for you. you. Another first for you. I'm um, not telling my husband that. He, he would add it to a list or something. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This is fantastic. And I'm no proud worries. to represent Absolutely. all senior enlisted advisors. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, you advise the chief of the National Guard Bureau, you know, you hear of the Army National Guard, you hear, you know, you, you know that seal with the Minuteman, the seal for the Air National Guard. You know, it, it makes sense that there's a centralized headquarters that that brought that brings the two together to advise the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Um, you just never hear about it. I know. Right. I, it's so it's so disappointing that still in 2021, we're still having to fight to make our mark. And you mm. hear National Guard all the time because we are so present in states now across the country with all this unrest, let alone all the yeah. deployed locations across the world, right? Yeah. But you don't necessarily hear about the chief of the National Guard Bureau as often as you do like the chief of staff of the Army or the uh, chief of staff of the Air Force and the other services. Uh, it's just, we're, we're still finding our way, I guess, on some levels, but it's, it's kind of sad to say that we have our four star, the chief of the National Guard Bureau that sits at the table with the Joint Chiefs of Staff, has full voting rights like all the others that sit on that on, on the chairman's staff there. And you don't hear as much about the chief of the National Guard Bureau, but we're always ready. We're always there whenever needed. And and it's so iconic that seal of the Minuteman so iconic yeah. the seal of the national so you just don't normally see the, see yeah. the bureau seal it's just interesting when right. I was doing my research that I was like okay well that that makes sense it makes yeah. logical sense that these two come together at a, at a headquarters sure. level and that's our that's our symbol I love I'm looking at my Minuteman right now that's our symbol of the National Guard where you know back back in those days that businessmen and women put down their tools of commerce and they picked up their musket to defend the homeland and we're still doing it today. Yep. Yep. Now the reserves aren't part of this bureau, right? Cause no. uh, is that due to the base differences of the guard being more of the state entities and the reserve is still right. being as like the federal, federal with the federal. Right. Gotcha. So, so the national guard reserve, has that. Marine Corps right. reserve. Sorry. Army okay. reserve. Sorry about that guys. You, so not including. <laughs> <laughs> we love them all. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Interesting. Well, we'll get in that role into a bit, but the, you know, one of the first questions we always ask here on Born the Battle is where and when did you know that military service was going to be the next step in your life? Well, I had gone through uh, some changes in my young adult life, right? I had been married and divorced and I was working at a bank and I just saw no future outside of my hometown. I felt like I'm just going to be stuck here. Didn't have, you know, a higher level education. Go ahead. 
married and divorced before your service? Yes. Wow. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Which okay. was tough, tough, tough. And, yeah. and so you had decision, that experience going in. I did. And a decision not made lightly at all. And you know, being mm. very, very strong, devout Catholic family. And thank wow. God I had the support of my family and my, especially my father. Otherwise things could have looked completely different. So yeah, yeah I had been um, married and divorced probably before I went into the air force about, about four years already. So it was a chance meeting, really. Back in the day, if you remember, you're probably too young for this, but back in the day, people actually brought their checks into the bank to deposit them on Friday afternoon, right after they got off work. Physical mm-hmm. hard check. And I was, you know, on the teller line and uh, I had befriended lots of people, a small town, you know, 6,500. I knew everybody that came to that bank. And I befriended oh, yeah. this soldier from the Minnesota Army National Guard. And she and I would chat, you know, every, you know, every week when she would come in or every other week and just chit chat. And one day she walked in and she said to me, Denise, I see so much more potential in you than this. Why don't you join the Air Force and get out of this town? And it was kind of like that V8 moment, right? My dad is a Korean War veteran. He served in the Minnesota Army National Guard for a couple of decades. But he had talked to his kids about service to our country, about what it meant to put on the uniform. It, he didn't talk about, you know, the benefits and education and learning a job skill or any of those types of things. So when, when my good friend, Staff Sergeant Joyce Madsen, then at the time, she said that she literally drove me to the next town. I took a sick day, right? She drove me to the neighboring town to meet with a recruiter. Let me tell you, that day he was on his game in a good way, though, because I bought everything, hook, line, and sinker. He talked about serving our country and what that meant, about what the uniform stood for, about what our flag. I mean, he talked about all that patriotic piece first. And then yeah. he talked about learning a job skill. And, and education benefits, which was really something that I wanted. But in our family, there wasn't money for higher education and you didn't do loans. You pay as you go or you don't go. Yeah. So I was like, I'm all in. I went back, resigned my position, sold my car, sold my furniture, put my stuff in mom, dad's attic. And six weeks later, I was gone. Six weeks. Six weeks. Uh, now, yeah. now, now you entered in 85 and, and I understand, you know, so you started as a big, hey, I was still casting checks in 2001 at McDonald's. I was, I, but I, yeah, absolutely. No, I get you, but I, I totally get you. Um, so you see, oh, I came in 80- actually in November of 84. Yeah, it was late okay. in 84. Yep. Gotcha. Well, it was a, it was a couple months before I was born, you know, but oh, still. thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not dating you at all. No, uh, I, yeah, I so, am feeling old today too. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. No, no, you should, definitely shouldn't. Um, uh, experienced it matters right That's so right. uh so you entered in 84 started off in is it is it off it is how do you say that is it off air force, air force base in nebraska that was my first duty assignment after i uh, completed my basic military training and my tech school so did you start off your career as active duty is that I active did. Duty? yes gotcha i gotcha. did so when did you transit transition to the air national guard and why did you decide to leave active duty well you know i, I met a marine and, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a long story that I, I won't go into, but after five dates and knowing each other three weeks, we got engaged. Woo. Oh man. You yeah. were that story. Yeah, I was that story, but 30, <laughs> but 34 years later, 
we're still hey. here. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it should have never worked. Okay. But you know, here you had an active duty Marine and an active duty airman and never the twain shall meet. Right. So he yeah. already had 10 yeah. years in the Marine Corps. So it made sense for me. I did not want to get out. I loved the Air Force. It was my calling. It was my niche, but I was able to Palace Chase, which is a fancy couple words for transfer into the Air mm. National Guard. I had about a year and a half left on my contract. The requirement was that you give the guard double the time back than you had on your active duty contract. So I had to give at least a three year commitment to the National Guard, which I was fine with that. I didn't plan on getting out anyway. So that way yeah. it allowed me to transfer with my husband. So my first, so my first family. Yep. So my first uh, National Guard state was California, and I served three years in the California Guard. And then he got orders to Hawaii. And so then I you know, picked up two and I transferred to the Hawaii Air National Guard. And, you know, 20 years later. <laughs> That's great. No, um, no, you did. You defied the statistics as me and my wife did as well. We got married seven months or we got engaged seven months after my my deployment. So wow. I'm right there with you. And defying <laughs> Congratulations. Those yeah, no, it'd that's be, a rarity. It is. It is. We're coming up on 13 years now uh, yeah, of, of being together, 13 to 14 years being together. So no, definitely. That's, that's great. Didn't know you were married to Marine. Love that. Yep. Love that part of the story. <laughs> uh, during your time in service, uh, give me either a, a best friend or your greatest mentor. Oh, I have a mentor story for you. Right, so here I am. I'm, I'm a, I'm a command chief at this point, right? And I'm, I'm serving in a combat comm headquarters for my full-time job. And then my military job, which is confusing to so many if they don't understand the guard. On a drill weekend, I'd walk across the street and I was a command chief for the 154th wing, the, at that time, the largest, most complex wing in our Air Force. So we had this leadership day. And so I'm with my the folks that I work with Monday through Friday. And the colonel is leading this particular part of this leadership block. And it was all about mentorship. And then he's decided to go around the room and ask who our mentor was. That's not the era that I grew up in through the military. In the late yeah. 80s and the 90s, there, there wasn't mentorship for me. That was my experience, okay? I didn't have a, a supervisor or a colleague or a, or a leader in my path that mentored me. So he's going around the room and on my hands, I'm literally wringing them under the table because I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? You know, all the officers are coming up with these grand names of who their mentor is, which was fabulous for them, but that wasn't my case. So he gets to me and he says, chief, who is your mentor? And I just kind of put my head down and I said, kind of what I just you know mentioned to you. And then I said, I, I don't have a mentor. However, there is someone that I admired for, you know, growing up and my whole life. Well, who is that, Chief? Mary Tyler Moore. And the room just kind of broke out in laughter. And I get that. I totally get sure. it. And yeah. so I said, but let me explain. Mary Tyler Moore, you know, in the 60s, she was the only woman in this very male dominant, all male newsroom. And she stood firm on her own two feet and she made decisions and she bucked the system and she asked questions and she tried to make things better. And I admired her for that because she had grit. She had perseverance. And I thought, if Mary Tyler Moore can do it, so can I. Yeah. And that was my answer. Now, that said, you know, when I got in that kind of that 
master sergeant, tech sergeant, master sergeant level, I recognized that I needed to grow. And I really started watching people. I kind of created my own mentorship path, right? And I watched, we had a female governor at the time, phenomenal, Linda Lingle, phenomenal governor. And our tag was amazing. And I would watch these senior leaders and I would watch how she how she how she was so poised at the podium and listen to the words that she used and how she walked through a room and just, you know, a couple words here and spend a couple minutes there. And I would listen to our senior leaders and it was almost like I was stalking them, but in a good way. But I mm. learned from them and I paid attention because I was a huge introvert. I could be in the back of a room in a corner and I'd be just fine. But I recognize that if you want to be a senior leader, you got to get out and have those extrovert tendencies. So I, I really took that to heart and I learned, I, I forced myself to do things that were very uncomfortable. Now you served from the mid eighties all the way to 2013. Uh, and you've talked about women in the, in, the, in the military. How did, how has women in the military changed in that, that 28 years? Oh gosh, so much. There are so many opportunities for women today. And so I didn't see when you look at that proverbial, you know, leadership, you know, the the pictures on the wall. Right. There weren't women on that wall in the pictures. Today, there are today. There's all all many, many officer enlisted women leaders that have competed equally, you know, toe to toe with their male counterparts. So that has changed opportunities in different MOSs and AFSCs, job job career-wise, so many women are able to compete at different things. And this was all, always my mantra. The standard is the standard. It doesn't matter if it's a male standard or a female standard. It should be one standard. And if a woman or a man meets that standard and exceeds it, they ought to be able to compete for any job that is open to them. And I get that women, you know, there's some differences in body structure and there are some things. Not every woman can carry a hundred pound pack and, uh, you know, all the equipment that goes with that. I get that. Okay. But if a woman can meet the standards, whatever that standard is, they ought to be able to compete. So I did see, I saw, I saw women being selected for leadership positions. I saw lots of women stepping up into those roles as, as first sergeants, as um, flight commanders, squadron commanders, um, you name it. So the world, the world is, is just been opened up for our women. And like you said, as long as the standard doesn't change and everybody That's can meet right. that standard That's right. and keep the military as lethal as we need it to be. Absolutely. Then let's rock, Absolutely. right? Yep. So and there was a lot, um, you know, there was a lot of blowback, you know, from when, when we changed to having women on ships and things like that, women, you know, yeah. going forward, deploying and whatnot. Oh my goodness. There was a lot of blowback on that. Fun fact. The first uh, female captain of a ship in the Navy, her name is Darlene Iskra. And I didn't know that not related. We don't think we're related. We didn't, I had to interview her. So she's in our archives. Uh, she was one of the last ones that I interviewed in person before COVID. I got to How meet cool her. We, 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 yeah, we took a photo to see, you know, you know, are we really, and she finally come to find out she lives in Washington state where I grew up wow. now. So is there a relation? We don't know, but there's not many gotta, iskers out there. You got to get on that. Um, um, what is it? DNA. So ancestry. Oh, we should. We definitely should. <laughs> How we definitely fun would should. that be? Oh my gosh. It was wild, but it was a wild conversation. Uh, so if you're listening to this and, and, and you like where we're going with this episode, check out that one episode as well. Um, 28 years of service, uh, Denise, 
I do see the the GWAT Expeditionary Service Medal uh, as part of your bio, which tells me you were in Iraq or Afghanistan during OIF one or two, uh, because they stopped giving that one out around that time. Uh, being the senior enlisted advisor advising the, the chief of the National Guard Bureau, uh, you have uh, you know as well you've had to have had active time. How much of that tw- of, of those twenty eight years were of active time? So he had Title 10 active duty, and then I became what we call a drill status guardsman, you know, part-time, right, M-Day. The soldiers are familiar with M-Day. <clears throat> and then, you know, I became a full-time technician, and then I went into an AGR program, Active Garden Reserve. And then, okay. you know, in the final tour, back on Title 10. So when you add up the Title 10 on that bookend of the career and the AGR time in the middle, I had about 12 years of active service. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so, which was nice. um, I know cause I, I, the reason I asked that, cause I know the VA in order to recognize to be a veteran, you have to have a certain number of hours or years, correct? And I'm oh, not no. sure. That. I mean, if you, if you served, you know, uh, and have an honorable discharge, you're a veteran. Now, gotcha. some, some other benefits are, are tied to years like, VA home loans, right? A National Guardsman that has never deployed has to have served for like six years in order to utilize the VA home loan program. Um, so like like for me, I, well, I'm a disabled vet. So I, I was able to have benefits right off the bat. Um, Got you. Like, uh, so when a Guardsman retires, they're, they're not able to collect their military retirement until age 60. Or if they have deployed time, it's backed up a little bit, right? So there's a difference there. Um, yeah, I just, I knew that there was some time that was tied to, was tied to some benefits within the VA yeah. for, and that's different for what they call gray area veterans yeah. or something like that. I, yeah. I, I know some of my, some of my listeners have, have asked about that. And, and so I figured you were the, you know, chief of that of, of a, you were the senior list of, I was like, yeah. I don't know, really know myself. I, I probably should do a benefits, a uh, breakdown episode on like gray area veterans yeah. or, or whatever they call it. Yeah, but, um, it is. I, so when, when my father turned, you know, 65, he was still paying for blue cross blue shield. And I'm like, dad, why you have TRICARE for life now you are a retired guardsman. He re- he didn't retire with an active duty retirement. He retired with some active duty service, you know, combined with his National Guard time. So he retired as what we would call an M-Day or a drill status guardsman, a part-time person. So he wasn't able to utilize those military benefits until 65. So when he turned 65, I'm like, you got to stop paying for this. But he just didn't trust. He didn't trust, right? And I'm like, okay, you just, you need to go and make an appointment and sit down and talk about it because you're paying all this money for insurance and you've earned this benefit. So he may have retired, say, for example, when he was 58, but didn't start being able to use his military, uh, the healthcare part until 65. And I'll tell you what a blessing that was. My mom ended up on dialysis for nearly 11 years. And between the TRICARE and the Medicare, they didn't, they didn't pay, you know, for her, for all of her care, which was just amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I need to do an episode on that to figure out what you know, 
part of this podcast is I want to be able to inform veterans, you know, sure. what, about a lot of the be- benefits that they deserve. And I think a, a lot of the gray area is with National Guard veterans. So it is. I definitely should, I, dig, should dig into that. And I do want to just give a big plug for, for the VA home loan benefit out there. I do because our, our guard and reservists, and I want to say my experience was more so our guardsmen and women, they don't get that briefing their whole career. Because on a drill weekend, it's bam, 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 training, training, training on a drill weekend. You don't get yeah. those nice to know briefings all the time, right? And of course, you have to be ready to receive it. If you do happen to get one, you might not be in that place to buy a home. But our National Guard warriors, all of our veterans, all of our veterans can utilize the VA home loan benefit where they can purchase a home with zero money down. That's huge today. It's an extremely low interest rate, especially right now. Exactly. Yes. So check it out, warriors. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just did. A, we have a, a full benefits breakdown on episode 150 of, okay. of the VA home loan, uh, and then there's also we just did a recent uh, benefits breakdown on the on the Earl, the interest rate reduction awesome. refinance loan awesome. uh, through the loan guarantee service. We got a couple of the subject matter experts. We sat them down and we shook them. We said, okay, from the time yeah. that you're thinking about buying a home to the time that you're in your home and you're getting spam mail for your for your you know refinance loan, <laughs> everything in between. Let's break it down. So if you get a chance. Check out those episodes if you listen to this. Um, first senior enlisted advisor uh, to a member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, as a female. Again, we never hear about the, the Chief of the National Guard Bureau. Unique gig. Uh, what is the selection process like for one of those positions? Do they tell you, hey, you're in the running to be the senior enlisted advisor? Um, does the selection of the chief weigh into that factor? How does that selection process go? So for me, and I think it's, it might be a little bit different today. So for me, uh, in Hawaii, I was serving as the Hawaii National Guard Senior Enlisted Leader. So I had oversight Sounds of the like enlisted corps. <laughs> it was. <laughs> so oversight of both our Army Guard and Air Guard Enlisted Corps. So I had the joint experience. So National Guard, Army, Air, right? So when my my predecessor was getting ready to retire, he actually reached out to the the state senior enlisted leaders that that were serving in that joint billet because they wanted someone that had that joint experience at the Guard Bureau level. So when he called me and I was like, I'm good. You know, I'm in Hawaii. It's clear blue in 82 today. You know what? We're taking care of soldiers and airmen here. There's a lot of work to be done. I assured our adjutant general that I was with him till the end. And I just, you know, I'm in Hawaii. You want me to come to D.C.? I, you know what? I wasn't interested. Totally different style of life, I'm yeah. telling you. <laughs> so a month, you know, that job announcement, and it was a job announcement that went out nationwide, opened and closed. Well, lo and behold, it opened for a second time. Hey, Chief, what do you think? Uh, I'm still good. I'm in Hawaii. <laughs> we had a lot of work that needed to be done yet at that point. And I just felt like I was supposed to be there. But here this job announcement is open a second time. And there weren't a lot of senior enlisted leaders throughout our states that were dual-hatted with Joint Army Air. Okay. okay. So I was taking a college class at that time. And so that job opened and closed, right? And I, this class that I was taking, I was supposed to write a resume for any job that I was interested in. I thought, well, I'm going to write to something I know. I took that job announcement, you know, did my resume. And when I hit send, I said, dang, I could have done that job. Well, lo and behold, some time passes and it opens up for a third time. Now, there's a reason for all that that I won't 
get into. But it opens up for a third time. And now the hair on the back of my neck is starting to stand up a little bit. And my husband and daughter all along said, you need to apply, mom. You need to put your hat in the ring. You need to do it. You need, oh, no, no. Mm. I I'm good. You know, I always saw myself. <laughs> why? Yeah. Come on. I always yeah. saw myself retiring with the men and women that I had spent, you know, nearly two decades at that point of my life yeah. with. Right. I mean, yeah. this, this was my family. We, we went through the ranks together. And so, the tag and I went down to the Philippines, down to Hola. We had soldiers that were deployed down there. And so, I'm sitting on a plane on the way back, and this job announcement's still open, right? And so I'm sitting on the plane, you know, very, very spiritual. And now I'm, I'm just praying and I'm, you know, asking the good Lord that if this is his path for me, you have to show me a sign because I'm, I don't feel it. I don't feel called to it. Other leader, leadership positions, I felt a calling to do, you know, put my hat, my name in the hat. And so I, I for, for a long time, I just sat in prayer and then I just closed my eyes, sat back and tried to just listen. And I'll tell you, you know, back when I was in uniform, I, I couldn't tell this story because you couldn't talk about God. Right. So I just said, oh, it was my intuition. But I will tell you today as I'm sitting here, the power of the Holy Spirit washed over me in a fierce way. I mean, it was strong and powerful. And I just felt this presence come over me. And I opened my eyes and I was it was a little scary. I kind of looked around like. You know, we're still in the air, right? I mean, it was scary. So I got home and I took a day of leave and I just sat by myself in prayer and thought about what this would be like, what this would be like for our family, what it would, you know, what it would mean to leave Hawaii and all the people that I'd served with for all this time. And the answer just kept coming back that I am supposed to do this. And so I, you know, I put my package together, I submitted it, and I thought to myself, there's not a snowball's chance in heck. Here I am all the way in Hawaii and all the way to D.C. I know no one in D.C. I don't know the chief of the National Guard Bureau, the senior leaders. They don't know me. It's yeah. not like I'm, you know, traveling and spending a lot of time in the D.C. area. So I didn't think I would... I would have a chance. Sure enough, I got a call that, you know, I made the top five. Um, and so I did a phone interview, which was, which was horrible because it got disconnected and the time was off and, oh my gosh, it's a whole nother story. And so I was doing so you're probably this. Thinking like, they probably don't think I know logistics <laughs> or no, IRS6. It's awful. You know, back in the Blackberry days, you had to stand by the window to oh get a cell, cell service yeah. right in a, in a hotel. It was crazy. So I was doing this event called Over the Edge Waikiki. And it was repelling off the Sheraton Waikiki 33 stories down for Special Olympics, which okay. I, I was not going to do. And I had said, my calendar is too full. I'm not going to do this event. And I got an email from one of my soldiers that said, hey, chief, you know, we, we set five command staff slots aside, dot, 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 unless you're chicken. Oh, are you calling me out? So clear the deck. I'm going to be there. So, of course, we're told nothing in your pockets. Leave your phones in the car because nothing can drop on the people down below. Right. So I left my everything in the car except my keys. So I repelled down and it was a great experience. And, you know, it was it was pretty cool, to tell you the truth. It's just, you know, Sounds here's cool. Diamond Head and you're looking out over the ocean, repelling down the Sheraton Waikiki. What? That's cool. So I get back to my car and, you know, as the kids say, the phone blew up and here was the chief of the National Guard Bureau's office, the tag, the Hawaii Air Guard commander. I'm like, oh, oh, 
and my husband, right? Because they, they called him looking for me because they could, I wasn't answering my phone, right? And I wasn't in the yeah. office. And he tells, you know, the, the chief of the National Guard Bureau's um, secretary, oh, she's rappelling down 33 stories of Sheraton Waikiki. It's like, what? And so then, so then We're a little I, different out here in Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, we may reconsider her application. So I got That's a whole- exactly um, what they were looking for. Someone that was probably yeah, going like, oh, crazy. she's doing what? Yeah. Oh, she's totally the face that we want. That is the face of the national. So go I, I got a hold of General McKinley and he offered me the position, told me to talk to my family and think about it. And I said, no, sir, you don't put your, you know, a package in. And then if offered the position, decide to think about it. And I said, I accept, I accept. And it's just logistics. And, you know, and so that was it. And it happened very fast wow. after that. Very fast. Wow. So did your husband at that point get orders to come to Virginia as well? He had retired. So Gary, okay. my husband, retired in 1996. And that's when I looked at him in those big baby brown eyes and said, baby, it's my turn. And he knew exactly what I meant by that. And that was the turning point for me to be able to say, I'll go. Pick me. I'll take that deployment. I'll go to that class. I'll go to that leadership training. I'll go. I'll go. Because he was the stability then at home. And really, he was the one that enabled me to do the things that I was able to do. Because when he was on active duty, I kept I kept the home fires burning, right? In Hawaii, he kept the air conditioning on. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was it was really it was really great. And I and I want to share with you real quick. So uh, when the chief, when the sergeant major of the army or the chief master sergeant of the air force are leaving their positions, the national guard is able to nominate a soldier and an airman for those respective positions to compete for the sergeant major of the army or the chief master sergeant of the air force. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, I happen to be that particular year when Chief Jim Roy was retiring from that position, I happened to be the nominee for that position. And again, I thought, are you kidding me? All these active duty chiefs that are out there serving, you know, in four-star billets across our Air Force, um, there's no way. And when the Air Force Times, you know, did their picks, you know, I was nowhere in that top five pick. And uh -huh. lo and behold, I did. I did make the top five and I did interview for the chief master sergeant of the air force, which was one of the most highest honors of my entire career to be able to do that. And I, I'm telling you this because I want our national guard soldiers and airmen to know that that opportunity exists and why not them? I believe someday we will have a national guard soldier or airmen serve in one of those positions. And that yeah. particular year, the chief of staff of the Air Force called me and said, Chief, it was between you and another chief. And I selected, you know, the other chief, which was fine. That wasn't my path. It was it was his path. And that airman that he chose, that chief, was in my air traffic control class 25 years earlier. <laughs> chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force, James Cody. He and I were Small good world. friends. His wife and I were good friends. And here we are 25 years later competing for the same position. It was crazy. Small but world. I, I, def yeah, it is. Definitely small yes. world. So was that your time? Was that after the chief of the National Guard Bureau, after your senior list advisor to the chief? Or was that I, like before? Yeah, it was right toward the, the end. Um, gosh, I want to I would probably been in the seat for about three years at that point. 
So it was look at you were looking at that as the next as the next. It would have been. After the, after it would have been. Gotcha. Right. Well, still uh, yeah, to be to be to be considered that close to it. Oh, that's, that's such amazing. an honor! Such an yeah. honor. Yeah. Um. So during your time as the senior enlisted uh, advisor to the chief of the National Guard Bureau, what would you say would be the greatest achievement for the guard during that time that you could say you can help put a stamp on back? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm so glad we were able to do that. So during my time, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was overturned, and there was a lot of meetings and discussion and input given. Um, I would have members of that committee that were that were working on that come to my office and have discussions with me about because the training had to be different for the National Guard than it was for, you know, the rest, oh, I should say the reserve as well, because we're not there every day. You can't say, okay, Air Force, you've got uh, 30 days to complete this training and say the same thing to the Garden Reserve, because mm. they're only there for two days out of that 30 days, right? So that's just yeah. one example. So, you know, we had to talk about that. So there were some things that, you know, I was able to give input that made a difference. But the biggest, most significant thing during my time I had I was serving for a four star. The four star, you know, was the chief of the National Guard Bureau. Um, he got that set. He got his second star before I. Excuse me, his fourth star. Apologize, his fourth star before I came into that position. But he wasn't a full voting member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He was invited to the table. He was able to express, you know, his opinion and give counsel to the chairman, uh, etc. But he didn't have a full vote. So it was kind of like the um, the Coast Guard. Exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. So then in in 2012, he became a full voting member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And that was huge for the National Guard. It was yeah. huge. And yeah. I get that the Chief of Staff of the Army and the, and the Chief of Staff of the Air Force cover down for their components, the Reserve and the Guard, right? They're, they're the four-star for Active Guard and Reserve. <clears throat> Excuse me. But because of our unique state mission, the role of the National Guard on the border, you know, throughout the cities right now yeah, that are, in, yeah. you know, uproar burning, et cetera, it was um, that is the National Guard, Title 32, that state piece belongs to the chief of the National Guard Bureau. So I think that that had a huge impact on him getting that, you know, the, the full voting rights. <clears throat> and NAGAS, our National Guard Association of the United States, and INGUS, the Enlisted Association of the, of the National Guard of the United States, those two veteran service organizations, if you will, they were on the Hill all the time, pushing this forward, pushing this forward, pushing this forward. So organizations like that had a big hand in our chief being a full voting member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Huge, huge. Very good. Very good. Um, now, when you weren't active, what, what's your passion? What Did you have another career? Uh, were you, like you said, keeping the air conditioning uh, cold <laughs> at home? Uh, what did you do? What, 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 what was your... What was so your- during the periods of time that I was a traditional guardsman, like in California, I was the office manager for a thrift and loan in Carlsbad, California. So kind of back in the banking business, right? So, so banking's kind of been your whole theme it, throughout the entire Yeah, it was. Gotcha. It was. I mean, it was kind of an easy niche to fall into knowing we're going to be there for three years. And again, still not having a college degree at that time. It was an easy thing to fall into. And having the five years of banking experience, that was really, that was pretty cool. And one unique thing that happened while I was at that thrift and loan, I took our deposit to the big bank to make the deposit. And I was like, you know, this pregnant, you know, like seven 
seven months pregnant. And, you know, in, in, in the teller world, right, the customer's standing in front of you. So I'm standing in front of the teller at this time. I'm the customer. I have all my money laid out, the checks laid out for our business. And this guy jumps up, leaps up right next to me, points a gun in my face and said, it's a bank robbery. Oh, my God. And let me tell you, I hit the floor. Her baby belly and all it was crazy. So that oh poor little, our little girl, she went through earthquakes in California, a rock slide and a bank robbery. So that was my that's my thrift alone story from California. Then when, oh was, when we moved to Hawaii, I took a year off because my husband had you know 18 months of training before his six month, you know, Westpac deployment. And I was working. I slept from like midnight to five. I had the baby. I had the stepkids every other weekend. I had to drill one weekend. I was taking care of the yard, the house, the car, all that stuff, right? Yeah. It was crazy. It was the worst six months of my entire life. So he comes back. <laughs> it was. I mean, you you have to admire the men and women that stay behind and take care yes. of the families that are working full yes. time, getting the kids to yes. school and daycare. Oh, my gosh. I mean, Absolutely. I lived it. So I kind of have that dual hat. I was a military person as well as, you know, the wife staying at home, taking care of all that when the spouse is deployed. So I get bank, it. Did they ever catch the guy at the bank robbery? I have no idea. I have oh no gosh. idea. But you know how it works. When there's a robbery at a bank, lockdown. FBI is called in. Nobody goes in. Nobody goes out. Well, you got this seven-month pregnant woman, right? My Marine husband in his uniform was there in minutes at that door. And he's like, either you're letting me in or I'm taking you out. I'm going to my wife. And I think I think the bank was probably a little bit nervous, you know, of liability with this pregnant woman and all that. So anyway, sure. but when gotcha. we got to Hawaii, I took a year off to be with our daughter. She was at that point, you know, about two and a half and I hadn't spent a ton of time with her. Daycare raised her to that point. And I, I just felt it was important to be a mom and just, you know, get her grounded and, and, and all that. And then gotcha. I went to work as an office manager for a financial advisor. <laughs> yep. So you you so banking is a is a common thread yeah. to that. Entire, yeah. Well, uh, numbers numbers make sense to me. Simple numbers, simple numbers, not you know algebra and stuff like that, but simple numbers. And I learned so much from Kathy Skillington, uh, first command advisor. I learned so so much from her when I worked there. And then the, and then I became a full time technician, and I never had a civilian career after that. Got you. Very good. Yeah. Uh, 28 years, great career. Uh, first day of retirement. What did Denise do? Sleep. I slept. <laughs> I slept. I slept and slept. And then I slept some more. And that's what I told people. Hey, what are you going to do when you retire? Sleep. Well, after you're done sleeping, what are you going to do? I'm going to sleep some more. <laughs> I did a lot of sleeping, <laughs> let me tell you. But, you know, we had a big move. We drove across country from D.C. We we're on our way to, to Colorado. And we stopped along the way in uh, in a Chicago area, Wisconsin, and the Minnesota to visit family we hadn't seen for, for you know, a bit. And then we got yeah. here. And then, you know, the whole PCS move, right? We unpacked yeah. boxes that had been boxed up for 25 years. I said, no, we're going through all these boxes. We're, we're purging, getting rid of stuff, Right. And when then, I got here, when I got here to this house right here, I did that exact same exact, thing. I took every to. box Ugh. and I just dumped it in the yeah. basement and yeah. I, I went through it for like a year. It, it takes a long time, but now I had time and I wasn't going to work. You know, I decided that I was going to go back to school because I was going to finish that bachelor's degree. 
I had a year left to finish. And so I said, I'm just, I'm doing it. And so I went to school for a year after I retired and finished it. That is amazing that you reached the levels of that you did um, without a bachelor's without degree because they now yeah. it's like the deemed thing that you need to have. But you you were able to show yeah. relevant work experience. I think that's amazing. And I will I will tell all service members out there that is exactly right. You have got to get that education done, get it done early, get that bachelor's. And so many of our enlisted corps now, when they retire, they have master's degrees. I mean, that's common today. But you're right. In my day, you could make it through grit, perseverance, your reputation, your record. You could make it, right? But it's different today. You've got to get that education piece done. Yeah, whether it's a, a, a bachelor's, whether it's a, a certificate in the trade that you're doing, yep. get certified, right. something, you know, because, um, yeah. you know, again, I mean, a lot of other careers, you don't need a bachelor's. You can, you know, right. you know engineers, that sort of thing, the, right. certificates. And, certificates. And there's all, but, right. but like you said, use that GI Bill, get that education. Absolutely. And I, I, I did a four course strategic leadership master's course. And one of these days I am going to finish that master's, I do believe. But, you know, right now I'm a full time. My husband and I are full time grandparents of our two year old twins, grandchildren. Uh, They live with us. And so our world is in constant state of chaos all the time. (laughs) How old are they? How old are they? Two years, four months. Oh, man. Yeah. You you got two of them. Oh, man. Uh, one doesn't think of the other one does, and it's just constant. So we love it, though. I mean, it kind of lets us have this do-over because we didn't, you know, daycare raise our daughter the first two and a half years. So I'm, I'm experiencing things that I never got to experience with my own daughter, right? Which is kind of oh, kind of a cool thing. But after I yeah. finished that bachelor's, the next thing was, okay, what's next? What's next? I still still felt like I had something to offer. And, you know, I there noticed, were voices. I noticed that you wrote it. I noticed that you yeah. wrote an autobiography. I did. So there was this voice in my head from a couple of senior leaders that I have, you know, interacted with over the years and, and a big voice from my husband, write the book, write the book, write the book. So I decided, okay, I'm going to start down this path. And it was one of the most difficult things that I ever did because when I was serving, it was like, okay, this happened next, put it back in your mind. Okay. This happened next little box in my head. Okay, this happened, little box in the head. And there's the chapter 33 in that book talks about threats of rape. That was one of the most difficult things that I went through. And all I did was put it in this little box. I wrapped it up, put a hard bow on it, tucked it back here, and I never dealt with it. And so now I'm writing this book and some of these experiences now, I'm putting it on paper and now I'm living it. I'm having to open up all these little boxes back here that I never dealt with because you're busy. Next thing, next thing, right? You take care of soldiers and airmen. And so, I mean, I, I did a lot of crying through the writing of that book. It was really hard for me. And I'm not that, um, I think my brain got switched at birth. I was supposed to be a boy. Okay. <laughs> so I don't have I don't have that touchy feely soft side of me that comes out very often, right? I'm not a crier, that type of thing. Um, I'm pre- pretty pretty grew up tough. You had to be tough when you grow up on the farm with, you know, the way mm. we did. And so yeah. I I've, I've always been this tough person. But here I am, and I'm just crying through this thing. And it was difficult for me to find the right words that would make someone like you want to turn the page and continue to read. So I actually had to hire a writing coach to help me. Like, what are you thinking here? What are you feeling? Feeling? Are you kidding? I got to come up with a feeling word? 
So it was, it was hard. It was hard. But it sounds like it was also a little cathartic to go through some of that. It absolutely was. And oftentimes I ask, you know, why, why did the Lord put me on this path? And I believe it was to help others, certainly that came after me, have things a little bit better, that there are lessons in there. There's leadership lessons in there for those that maybe don't have that mentor or have, you know, path laid out, right. To learn from it. I mean, there's just so much. And I was honest and I shared, I shared probably way too much, but that was the point of it all was to really you know, have the reader understand that you can do this despite all these other things. Right. So it was. And then, you know, it's like the book, the book published and launched and my mom fell and broke a hip. I literally, I was going to this big conference. I was going to be speaking to like 1500 people, right. It was the yeah. big launch of the book. And I literally am calling, you know, the, the chief from the ambulance saying, I can't, I have to cancel because I was with my mom at the time. So I, I I can't be there because my, I had to go be with my mom because my dad, you know, just too hard of hearing a little elderly. He wanted me to deal with the doctors and all that. So I just couldn't understand sometimes the path that, you know, the Lord put me on to write this book. And then the launch just went, but I think really when it comes down to it, in addition to writing it for, for, to help others learn was to make me unwrap all those boxes and, yeah. and just live through that and kind of unload and get rid yeah. of it. And it did. It really did. That's great. That's great. So a lot of, a lot of it sounds like it was just a lot of catharsis for it you was. as well. It was. Um, uh, it looks like another thing, another thing that you did was volunteer was when you, yeah. what you started to do through uh, United through reading and, and the military child education coalition. How did those opportunities come about and, and what was your role? In those, in those. So I met, I met those, you know, uh, the CEOs um, during my time while I was serving, and I was still in uniform when I got a call from uh, United Through Reading, and and I just respectfully asked, you know, I, I need to take, I need to take six months, to just take a knee. You know, can you contact me six months from now? Let me just kind of settle down, and they gave me the grace to do that, and they contacted me, and uh, I was recommended by former Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy, Rick West. Uh, he was a trustee, you know, at that time, and you know, trustees are supposed to refer who they think would serve well on the board, and he he recommended me, and man, I I just I love the mission of United Through Reading, keeping families connected through the Read Aloud program. So back in 1990, when my husband deployed, you know, I I bought some little storybooks. Why I thought of this, I have no idea. Bought little storybooks. We hit, you know record on the cassette player and my husband read these storybooks so now he's gone and I put my daughter on the lap put his 8 by 10 picture on the nightstand press play here's a storybook and so she could see daddy's face that was his voice and we would go through the storybooks so yeah. in 1990 when he came back all these kids are crying and screaming because they don't know their daddies at all and she went right up to him because she recognized the face she recognized the voice and all she did was this. She touched his face like, are you real? Because she's been looking at a picture for six months, right? Yeah. So now we're now, you know, it went from, you know, VHS tapes to CDs to SD cards. And now we're in the cloud and it's all free to our veterans and service members. We've got an wow. app. They can read the stories. So when mommy or daddy are deployed or separated because of a long school or a TDY, Time zones don't match up. 
mom or dad at home can go to go to that cloud to the app, pick whatever story was pre-recorded, and that child can have a story every single night from whoever is you know they're separated from. And it's great for grandparents too. It's great. I use it for the grandkids. It's fabulous. So that was really, it's it's still my passion. So I'm in my seventh year right now with United Through Reading and have served in different capacities on that board. And Military Child Education Coalition, I served three years on that board. And again, it's all about the child. It's all about reading to the child, the education of the child, having kids involved in their schools, mentorship programs. It's much about leadership for, you know, like middle school. Just think about a kid that PCSs to brand new school, they're the ones sitting over there at that table eating lunch by themselves. They have a student to student or a peer to peer type program that that they you know the purple shirts right military child education coalition that yeah. that whoever is a volunteer will now be that mentor for that brand new student. They'll have lunch with them. They'll you know, tour the school with them. They'll make sure they get to the right classes in time. They'll find out what their interests are and introduce them to the to the band members or the choir members or the drama club or get them involved in the, in the sports that they're interested in so they're not alone. And that just reduces all kinds of mental health issues. I hate to say it, but suicide issues, things like that. I mean, it just gives that student, that PCSD in, a better experience within the school. So lots, all about the kids, 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 kids. Wow. Sounds, well, it sounds like you had a, you know, that personal experience was really tied you to, oh, to that mission. That's, was. that's, yeah. you know, my wife tells stories about that. She didn't know her dad when, when he came back and he was always in the field when she was in yeah. Hawaii or Germany. And uh, that's, that's, that's really great. And, and, and just, and talk, and she talks about the times where she was in high school or middle school about not knowing not having a feeling of belonging. Cause like, I think you came from a, from a place like me, a small town. You went from kindergarten to high school with the same people. I didn't um, go to not- kindergarten. <laughs> didn't go to kindergarten. No. But, but, you, but you know what I mean? It's like, you knew the yes. kids from, you knew that, that community. And so she doesn't have that feeling of community. No, I get and that. For someone, I get that. Yeah. And for someone like me, it's like, it's, it's foreign, but I understand it seeing being in the military now it's, it's, that's great stuff. That's good stuff. So I want um, to tell you, not only did I not go to kindergarten because it didn't exist for me, okay? <laughs> but I also do you know do you know the program Blue House on the Prairie? Oh yeah, you know that? my dad okay. watched my dad yeah, watched my it dad. all the time. It was yeah, it was, <laughs> it was always in the it was always on TV and my three channels as I was catching the school bus. Exactly. Yeah. So Laura Ingalls went to this one room country school right in the middle of nowhere. That's exactly the kind of country school that I went to for the first five really? years of my education. Outhouses for the boys and girls. You know, there was no indoor plumbing. Right. We had one teacher that taught all eight grades, every subject. So can you imagine how much time we got for core, like reading and math and science and history and English? Nanoseconds. But that's the kind of you know foundation that I had, right? So I, I say this to your audience to say, gosh, if she can do this, anybody can do this. You just have to put the right things in place and and grow yourself, develop yourself, pay attention, get your education, you know, do what's right, serve with honor. Uh, wow. From first to eighth grade all together as one. I mean, when I was growing up, their schoolhouse was still there. Just, we didn't go to it. 
My yeah. grandfather went to it. My, you know, it was closing when my, my dad went to school. It's just amazing to hear about stories like that and, and to see that where you can go from an education like that. And just exactly. as long as you persevere, that's great stuff. Um, you're now a military advisor for, for uh, veterans United home loans, again, sticking with the, with the financial aspect of your yeah. career. Uh, what's the role there? What's, what is a, a, it seems like a lot of the senior enlisted advisors are advisors for this particular home loan. Um, what are y'all's roles there? We have, we have eight military advisors that are part of the military relations team. And I'll tell you, it's just, it's so much fun getting together with them because it's all that service rivalry, right? And they're all poking at each other and things like that. And it's just awesome, right? And of course, you know, I'm the, I'm the female, the token female on the team. Someday we're going to have another one. But our role really is to, <laughs> I know it, uh, our role is it. to educate our veterans, our currently serving service members and our veterans on the on their VA home loan benefit. We're not the ones, you know, uh, doing the loans. We can't get into details because we're not licensed, but we're there to educate the force that you have this benefit. I can remember asking my stepdaughter a few years ago, hey, Nikki, when are you Mike, going to buy, buy a home? She goes, we can't afford it. They're in California, right? We can't afford it. You know, it's, you know, oh, that yeah. money down, right? I said, Nikki, you're a veteran. She said, oh, that's right forgot right so we will attend like all the major conferences and our our boss the vice president of military relations pam swan who everyone knows um she pairs a respected military advisor with whatever conference that is so for example ausa that's you know, a big one Sar yep so our we have two former sergeants major of the army that are on our team they would work that conference. They would she'll most likely have me work that conference. I have the last number of years because of the Army Guard presence there. So we're in the booth with her and we're just educating the forces are walking by. And you would just be amazed at how many people come to that booth and have no idea about that benefit. Really? So that's the main thing that we do is we're educating that's the force and we will go and we will speak. We also you know, go to our home office in Columbia, Missouri, and we help educate the loan officers and, and their teams on, you know, how they can better serve the military and veteran community, because many right. of them have never served or don't have any affiliation with military. So they will ask us questions. I mean, one question was very simple, like, how do I talk to a veteran that is suffering from PTSD? So we had a conversation about that. Or how do I respond when I thank a veteran for their service? And they're like, oh, you don't need to thank me. Well, you know, so we kind of help them work through those things. And a lot of times, too, there may be somebody that's just kind of sitting on the fence. And so let's say that it's a National Guard soldier or airman that I'm not sure if I want to do this. I'm not sure if I want to go with Veterans United Home Loans or with, you know, Company A. And so then, you know, my boss will reach out and say, hey, Denise, can you call you know, Sergeant so-and-so or Sergeant so-and-so and just speak to them, speak to them about your experience. All of the wow. military advisors, we have our loans through Veterans United Home Loans. And we're proud to be able to say that because we yeah. believe in the company, we believe in what we do. And so it just works. And we, we tell the loan officers, use us, use our names. You know, if you're talking yeah. to a, a sailor, hey, you know, I, I, I'm, I got a personal relationship with Mick Pond Rick West. Or Chief Master in the Air Force, Jim Roy. 
or you know, Ken Preston, Sergeant Major of the Army, Dan Daly, Sergeant Major of the Army, for all formers, right? And the Marine Corps. Okay, let's get the Marine Somebody's Corps in back. there. Sergeant Barrett. And yeah. now we have Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps, Ron Green. So, I mean, we've just oh, really? had a great team. Yeah, we have I, this I great have to, team. I'm very personally related. Uh, They've both really, I, I have quick stories about both of them. Sergeant Major Barrett, he was checking in to my headquarters combat camera as I was checking out. I was a sergeant there. And so I'm, I was there when he got his official photo. So every first time I see his official photo, I was like, yeah, okay. I, was, I remember that, getting that photo. Um, Sergeant Major Green was a huge influence on my career. He was the battalion sergeant major at the same time Sergeant Major Barrett was the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps. Uh, he had a profound, profound uh uh, time on my career. There was, it was a time when I really didn't know I was in a bad spot professionally as far as leadership. And he really, um, I don't know what I would have done without him, honestly. Well, that's, that's really a, a great story. And I, I hope yeah. someday that you're going to be able to share that with him. I mean, there's so many lives that people I, touch I saw, and they I saw have no idea. I saw him as I saw him in Charlotte when he was a sergeant major of the Marine Corps and I was working for NASCAR and I made a point to go wherever he was to let him know that. And he remembered me. He remembered me, my staff and COs, both of them, my yeah, le my you. leadership above that. And he goes, we took care of you. And I said, yes, you did. And, uh, That's cool. and I never it's forgot it. So he is a really good man. He is a really yeah. good man. Uh, probably the, one of the, the most influential senior enlisted advisors or senior or sergeant majors, first sergeants that I ever had in my career. Easily, easily. Nice. Um, it's good. It's really nice to have good people like that in your career yeah, that you can look absolutely. up to and you can, you know, follow and emulate. Absolutely. 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 I just remember him coming out of an office, coming out, coming down, walking across everybody and coming to my desk and going, sorry, you're not going to have an issue with that anymore. And he was able Excellent. to, to, to handle that issue in a professional manner to where everybody was able to still do the mission Fantastic. and keep me in the mission that I was doing and not take my mind or make me want to move or, or anything. He was able yeah. to work the situation out. Yeah, you're able exactly. now to focus, right? You know, exactly. focus on your job. That's right. Exactly. Instead of having whatever it was, you know, weighing down on your shoulders. Yeah. No, that's leadership. That's great, man. It's a great, man. Good. Um, so that's very innovative that, that Veterans United Home Loans does that. I'm, I'm, I'd like to see, you know, that's a mortgage company. And that's, I don't think that's a, an endorsement or indicative or anything like that. I think what it is, it's, it's just showing that there is innovation there that that I think it'd be great if other, if other mortgage companies emulated that. It's good yeah. stuff. Um, summit six, six former senior enlisted advisors. And you've talked about a couple of them starting LLC. Um, how did that come about? Is it, where, is it the ones that were all serving together? Were you all just like a, like a core group? Yeah, and what's the we mission were, of group? Gotcha. We, we were a core group at, at the Pentagon. We all served together. So, you know, I'm like, oh, halfway, three quarters of the way through writing my book. And I'm just, ah, I'm not loving life of that. And I get this email from uh, from Rick West, right, the MCPON, and he puts out to the initial six military advisors that's, that were with um, Veterans United. So we've added Dan Daly and Ron Green since that. So now there's eight. But the original six, he says to, the, to all of us, hey, we ought to write a leadership book together. And my head was about to explode, right? So I'm sitting in Colorado. Like another book? No. <laughs> exactly. That was my thought. I'm but like, no. <laughs> yes. He could hear me screaming from Colorado, I'm sure. So I waited to see what everybody else was going to say because I'm in the throes of my own book, right? 
And so one by one, they all came on board and said, yeah, great idea. We, yeah, let's talk about this. Let's get started. I mean, blah, blah. Oh, so I, you know, sent to all, Denise, great da, da, da. idea. <laughs> I'm in. And I was, because, you know, you can't be the only one, right? Yeah, right? You can't yeah. be the only one to say no. And certainly as the National Guard person, I, there was, and the only girl, I could not say no. I'm part of this team and I'm all in. But the beauty of that book, Reaching the Summit, was that we have our own chapter. It wasn't like I had to write the whole book, right? So we all had our own chapter. And I was able to take some pieces from my book, From the Prairie to the Pentagon, and just, you know, rewicker it, you know, reword it a little bit, do some wordsmithing, yeah. change some things around, this, that. And so I was able put to a, use put a, some. Put a specific through. direction on the story. Yeah. So that's how that came about. So with the book, you know, then we had to form, you know, we formed this, you know, LLC. So breaching the summit, summit six, six of us. Right. And yep, so yep. we have gone to like um, the Coast Guard Academy as a group and had a panel. And I believe that uh, there's there's other places where a couple of our, of our team, summit six, will have you know go and speak or be on a panel at AUSA. Um, okay. COVID stopped this, but they were they were going to have yeah. a panel of us because casemate publishing picked up our book, Breaching the Summit, <clears throat> excuse me. So they were going to have all the authors there on a the panel and do a book signing. And that was going to be really cool. And then COVID kind of kiboshed that. So it, we- Hopefully we, that changes soon. I do. Hopefully yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. As a matter of fact, oh. I'm leaving shortly after this. I'm headed to Grand Rapids. I'm going to speak with the National Guard, Michigan National <laughs> Guard Association. I'm so excited because, you know, we haven't been out doing much, right? I'm like, right? oh, I just go interact with soldiers and airmen and ooh, good. But yeah, so that's Summit 6. It's been a great experience with the guys and we're all, we're all really lockstep on what we're doing and we go and we speak on leadership and various things like that. So it's uh, been good. Uh, um, is it two books or one? Cause I noticed that there's, is it, there's, so, there's, uh, leadership lessons from six military journeys at the top and then leadership lessons from the U S military's best. Is that two books or one? So we have breaching the summit. Um, okay. I don't have the black one in front with me right now. So when we first published breaching the summit, the cover was kind of black and down below it had all of our pictures on the front cover. Yeah. When yes, Casemate, uh, yeah. yep. When Casemate picked up our book and uh, decided to publish it, then they changed the cover and they put us on the back. The content is the same, but you know they, they gave it gotcha. a different look in the front. So we've got a different, you know, with the ocean and the and the summit little, there, breaching little, the summit. A little different wrapper on it. Yep, little a little different, different wrapper. wrapper on it. So so gotcha. it's it's the same book, just the yeah, the cover is different now. Gotcha. And like you said, you guys do speaking tours, uh, but it's changed a little bit under COVID. How have you guys been able to adapt to that, uh, change those changes? You know, unfortunately all the speaking had just, it just stopped. Right. And, mm. and we understand that. I mean, organizations weren't allowed to host different venues, but we're seeing now this year, things are starting to pick up. Right. Good and stuff. so we are, we have high hopes. So I believe that um, our boss is trying to get all of us to the American Legion convention uh, in uh, August, I believe it is. Don't quote me on that. It could be September. I forgot. Gotcha. Um, but to have all of us on a panel, right? And then maybe do a book signing after that type of thing. And individually, we do those things as well. So 
For example, when I go to Michigan now, as part of their registration, the first 100 people get a book, Breaching the Summit, as part, as part of their registration. And then I do book signings across, you know, the country when I'm here or there as well. You know, the other guys do, too. And I, you know, I'm, I'm doing it for both of my books, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So the guys, they're promoting Breaching the Summit, but I'm, I'm promoting both of mine. Now, is it just speaking tours or are there other other corporate or educational professional coaching opportunities that that there are? Yep, there are different different organizations will bring us in and and depending upon what the need is, I mean, they may target an area that they want us to specifically talk to, not sharing our story, but this area of leadership or um, different things like that. Absolutely. There are opportunities. Very good. Very good. Um, now, what what is your stamp on the book on that book? Uh, what what did you want to share that you wanted to get in your writing that you wanted to get across? I'm breaching the summit. Yes. You know, there's about 180 years collectively, right, combined with the six of us that wrote that book, yeah. and we really believe that this book it's it's a leadership book at the from the highest levels of of our senior enlisted core. And and it can be used for the emerging leaders that want to see how did they do it. It can be used for, you know, our our first second lieutenants that are making their way on how to maybe get some tips on how they could manage and lead the enlisted corps. It's for corporations to see from a different perspective, perhaps, some leadership. Leadership is leadership, and it's transferable from, from the military into the civilian sector to the corporate world. Leadership is leadership, okay? So we're hoping, and, and we have had corporations reach out to us about speaking and utilizing this book, as well as our military. When, when I see, like I carry books with me all the time, right? So when if I see a soldier and an airman in uh, the airport, you know, we'll give them a copy of the book, right? Just sign it to them. And here's a, here's a copy of this book, depending upon what the conversation might be, right? I mean, it might be just, just what they need at that very moment, right? Yeah. So, yeah. We, we, we wanted to share our leadership experiences, kind of how we, you know, did this, bro- broke that <laughs> summit, right? Breached it. And, and, and in the hopes that others will learn from that and that yeah. they can see all six of us that wrote that book came from pretty humble beginnings. Yeah. Very humble beginnings. That's great. Um, The core today is so much more educated than we were when we were, you know, junior and making our way through. So we wanted to be able to share our stories in the hopes that it will help them reach their full potential as well. Very good. Very good. If if you were to pick out one uh, focus of leadership that you wanted to make sure that you got through that book, what would it have been? The biggest thing for me probably would be to respectfully do not take no for an answer. That was huge for me through my whole career. And I always put that respectfully at the front because you, you know, as well as I do having worn the uniform, there's a way to buck the system and then there's a way to buck the system. So (laughs) respectfully, right. And so this, so this, so this story, I'll tell you, I was a senior master sergeant in a billet that was an E8, hard E8, there was no promotion opportunity. And, and I was okay with that. 
I really was because it wasn't about promotion throughout my career. It was about how can I better serve in different positions? How can I be, you know, make a difference on this organization? I would have been, I would have been so proud to retire as a senior master sergeant, but it just so happens that this position opened up the state command chief for Hawaii. And I said, I can do that job. I meet all the requirements. You know, it was open to all chiefs and eligible senior master sergeants. So prepare, prepare, prepare along your whole entire career. You have to prepare for that opportunity that's going to come when you least expect it. So I wanted, so just so happened that the air guard commander was in our building. And I said, sir, I'm interested in applying for the state command chief job. And he told me flat out that I couldn't do it. He said, you, you're a full-time technician. Only a drill status, a part-time guardsman can serve in that position. Well, I knew better than that because other states had full-time command chiefs that you know, perhaps were technicians in a different job as well. So I said, well, sir, where would I find that information that you are you know, telling me? What, what regulation would that be? I'll get back to you, Sergeant Jelinski-Hall. Two weeks later... Still nothing. General so-and-so, per our conversation, da, 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 da. and I got a response back from him. And he said, <clears throat> HR, it was a human resources regulation, right? HR, whatever. And said, while incompatible with your full-time job, there is a waiver process. Well, ding, ding. That's all I needed to hear. So I got into that regulation, trust but verify, right? It's not dogma. Just because it's always been doesn't mean it is or should be. Um, it's it's not always fact. People will tell you something that they believe and it's fact and it's not. So you have to dig into the books yourself. And so I did Wrote up the letter for the, you know, for the um, uh, waiver, got it approved. Done. So respectfully, don't take no for an answer. I can't tell you how many times I was told, no, you can't. No, you can't. That can't be done. It can't be done. Put the how in front of that. How can it be done? Because the how assumes that it can be done. And my experience has been most of the time, 99% of the time, there is a way. There is a way over, around, under. And I don't mean, you know, skirting regulations or doing anything that's not within, you know, the regulations. That is not what I mean. But be creative. Think outside of that box, right? Look at it from a different angle and you you can probably do it, whatever it is. There's a waiver. There's a way. Leadership lessons from Denise Jelinski Hall. I just, <laughs> I'm just gonna show up and listen. I like it. Love it. No. Um, Denise, uh, what is one thing that you learned during your time in the service, during your time in the military, that you apply to what you do today? The first thing that comes to mind is you. You have to care about people. You just do. I mean, you can get so busy just you know marching down this way and not focusing on the force, and then you miss something. I have a great story about that, but but that now taking off the uniform, it still applies. You know, I, I care deeply about, you know, United Through Reading. I care deeply about my church. I'm a, my husband and I are facilitators for Focus, which helps young, uh, engaged couples prepare for marriage. Well, we've gone through a lot of bumps in our road. So we, you know, we want to share, right? And we got to care about them. We, we don't go through the mechanics of it. We could just check the box and do what's required, but we share the good, the bad, the ugly, right? Um, <laughs> and great. so you notice people, you know, I mean, there have been times that I've been out on a hike and someone is, might be sitting down over there and 
you can see that there's there's stress. You know, maybe they're dehydrated, maybe they're uh, heat exhaustion, maybe they have altitude sickness. You you just have to be mindful and care about people. And I, I learned that throughout my career to pay attention and not take care of in that sense, but you know, be there with a resource, be there with a word, be there with you know taking care of them and get, get helping them to be successful. So I was at this graduation, this um, NCO Academy graduation. And, you know, these, these NCOs have gone through six weeks of, you know what, right. And they're tired and they're, they're exhausted and they want to get home to their families and they're standing up on stage, you know, flight by flight, just so happy to get their graduation certificate. And there was this one NCO in this, in this lineup, right. That was just, head was down her body was just just drained you could tell something is wrong with this and so this should have been one of the happiest moments of her life in her career right like yeah. all the others you saw the big smiles and i made a mental note that after you know the ceremony i was going to find her now you've got a room of 300 airmen all in service dress uniforms right we all look the same what's the likelihood that i'm going to find her and and typically you know as as senior leaders you're the last ones out of the room right and i'm talking with various airmen that graduated and i found the hawaii group that graduated and you know connected with them for a bit and 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 i believe that this was through the grace of god that this this young nco walked by me and I said, excuse me, excuse me. And, and I won't go into details, but we had a long conversation and this airman was in stress. I mean, she, she needed some help bad. So I made the connections, got hold of her state command chief, connected them. And I, to this day, that was gosh, back in probably 2011 or 2012. So almost like 10 years yeah. She has. She wrote a testimonial in my book, and you could go. You can go read that. And uh, she talked about how I saved her life that day. And to this day, I stay in touch with her. I, you know, it was just taking those minutes to find out what the need was and what was happening. You know, an NCO that just doesn't know me from Adam. You think they want to open up to me, but she trusted enough to open up, and that I was going to follow through and help her. Because she didn't know where to turn, right? So she's you, successful you that you today. Were, you showed that you were engaged. You showed yeah, that you were absolutely. engaged leader. And, and that's yeah. sometimes, a lot of times, that's all it takes to really yeah. gain that, to get that trust that's to right. really affect somebody like that. And that's 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 great. Yeah. And to she's take had care a of great your, career, you know. She's, she's married. <laughs> she's a daughter. She's thriving. And, oh, so great. proud of her. That's great. No, just be, showing that engagement, being that engaged leader, uh, you know, you take care of your people the mission will take care of itself. 100%. Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. If you serve pure of heart, when I say that, it sounds a little nanny panty, but serve pure of heart, meaning that you do what's best for the country. You do the best for the organization in which you're serving it. And you do, do the very best for the people that you are responsible for and that you're leading. And you know what? You will have a successful career. Absolutely. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, you take care of the people that, 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 that we're the taking care of the organization is going to take care yeah. of itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Denise, we, we, we've, co we've covered a, a raw, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, is there anything that I've missed or haven't asked uh, that you think is be important to share for anybody that's listening to this? 
A parting shot, if you will. A parting shot. I want to give a parting shot out to all the families. You know, we we serve, we put on that uniform every day, and we stand pack to pack and shoulder to shoulder, you know, with with our brothers and sisters, and the family is is left behind. And oftentimes, we you know, we recognize uh, our military spouses here and there. But I give all credit to our military spouses who enable us to go and do the mission and the work of the Department of Defense and serving in, in our respective branches because they are home taking care of everything. So when we put on that uniform, we don't have to worry about that. It's taken care of at home. So spouses that listen to this, thank you. Thank you for your contributions. We serve, you serve as well. Thank you for all that you do for the respective branch that your spouse is, is in, because I know that that, whether it's the Army, the Marines, the Navy, the Air Force, the Coast Guard, the National Guard, I know that each one is better because of what you are doing in supporting your military member that's out there fighting the good fight. Gotcha. Very good. What about for the, I mean, a lot of my audience is are veterans and, oh, VA, veterans. and, VA, and VA employees. Um, anything for them that they might, um, glean from any part of shot that you might have for them? Our veterans and our veteran service organizations that are out there taking care of our warriors, our nation's heroes. You know, I look at my dad who, who passed away last year and I think about the care that he got and the help that he got from those that went, you know, after him, frankly, because he was elderly. And here he had younger veterans helping him navigate through the system of the VA oh, wow. and, and, and taking care of him. Right. And that's what veterans do. They have their buddies back. They have their six. They're out there working for them. And the, the people at, at the VSO that help our military go through, comb through their medical records to say, you didn't do this, you didn't take, you didn't annotate that, oh, you can claim this or that. They're out there helping where a lot of a lot of veterans, even present day, they don't know where to turn. They don't know where to get how, how to get started on doing some things. Yeah. So I I applaud our veterans. I'm one of them. My husband's one of them. My stepdaughter is one of them. I mean, I've got a nephew who's serving. I mean, I, I love our veterans and they do so much. They still do so much for this country. And they're so patriotic. God bless them, each and every one of them. I want to thank Denise for joining us here on Born the Battle. For more information on Denise, you can find her bio at summit6leadership.com forward slash NGB hyphen C hyphen Denise hyphen Jelinski hyphen Hall. And the six in Summit 6 Leadership is a number. Don't spell it out. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is from our VA Veteran of the Day program. Every day, our digital media team honors a veteran on all of our social media platforms and with a blog on blogs.va.gov. You can nominate the veteran in your life by sending in a short write-up and about five photos to newmedia at va.gov. Pedro Munoz was born in June 1957 and grew up in Puerto Rico in a small community on the northwestern portion of the island. His father served during the Korean War and Munoz grew up wanting to follow in his father's footsteps and join the service. In 1986, he enlisted in the Army and trained to become an automated logistical specialist. 
He later attended the Special Forces Qualification Course and graduated in 1990. Munoz then served as a Green Beret with the 3rd Special Forces Group at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Shortly after joining the Green Berets, he deployed to the Gulf War in support of Operation Desert Shield and Operation Desert Storm. In the mid-1990s, Munoz went to Haiti in support of Operation Uphold Democracy, which was an initiative to restore democracy to the Haitian elections, and he also deployed for a time to Colombia. In 1999, Munoz, now in his 40s, earned a slot on the Army parachute team, the Golden Knights. He remained with the Golden Knights for several years until the terrorist attacks on September 11, 2001. In 2002, Munoz returned to Fort Bragg's Special Forces. This time, he served with 1st Battalion, 7th Special Forces as an operations and intelligence sergeant. In 2004, Munoz deployed to Afghanistan in support of Operation Enduring Freedom. It was late in the evening on New Year's Day, January 1, 2005. When Munoz and his unit were on a mission to track down a Taliban commander thought to be inside a compound. As Munoz cleared the building, he entered one of the rooms and was struck by gunfire and wounded. The shooter was a Taliban fighter hiding in a room among women and children. Colonel Mark Gordon, deputy commander of the 7th Special Forces Group, recalled the incident in a Tip of the Spear article and said, Sergeant First Class Munoz continued to support his detachment, firing selectively engaging only armed combatants without harming any non-combatants. His dedication and his courage are evident through his actions, protecting innocent life, staying in the fight without thought for himself while supporting his teammates, allowing them to successfully accomplish their mission. Munoz did kill his attacker. His team evacuated him, but unfortunately he succumbed to his wounds early the following day. The 47-year-old Sergeant First Class earned numerous awards, including a Silver Star, Bronze Star, and a Purple Heart. Army veteran Pedro Munoz. We honor his service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate your veteran as a feature born the Battle Veteran of the Week, so we can all learn their story, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, include a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcatching app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov, and follow the VA on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, Pinterest, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. No matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. I say that because the song you're hearing now is called Machine Gunner, which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song and was written by Marine veteran Mark Milkilhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Seaver, and Michael Duncan. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Got some very special episodes coming up as Born the Battle Rewinds. Take a listen to those as well, especially if you haven't heard them before or revisit them. Uh, they are the very first episode of Born the Battle and, the fr- and then the very first episode that I conducted for Born the Battle. Some good stuff, and we'll be back here with some fresh content in a couple of weeks. Take care. We gotta get them one way or the other.
the other machine gun. Firefight, bullets fly, day and night brain. Simplify till we're down another campaign. My desk is a rock where the drug lords cut up millions. My pen is a 7.62 round that'll cut them down in an instant. Made bullet in my back, raining down lead, punching that clock. Get them, boys, I'm laying down cover. Machine gunner, bullets fly, day and night brain. Simplify, do or die, another campaign. Here we go, lock and load, 0331, lug a thousand rounds, and I ain't bringing back one. It's, it's humorous now, but it was devastating at the moment. So I, I was, Those are the best stories though. I know I was serving as the 154th wing command chief and I was going in for an interview to, for the st- Hawaii state command chief position. So oversight of all of the Hawaii air national guard enlisted corps. And so I have practiced and I have stood in front of the mirror and I carried my uniform on a hanger because I wasn't going to have one wrinkle in it. And I had gone over and I measured it and everything was squared away. I mean, it always was, but you do the extra, right? Yeah, and I, I was so, the brim. I was so prepared for this interview. I mean, I was like, this is going to be my job. It's, I, I was so prepared. So I get to our state headquarters and I go into the ladies room and I put on my uniform. And as I'm putting on my jacket, I had a magnetic ribbon rack that was a complete square. And I caught the corner of it on my jacket. Right. And it fell to the floor. Oh, so I pick it up and I put it on and I get it all. I get it all, you know, lined up, you know, with the pocket there and, oh, yeah. and all that. Yeah. And so now, okay, I'm set. I'm standing out in the hallway and I talked to a couple different officers. I talked to a couple senior enlisted and okay, now it's my turn. I go in and they ask me all the questions and I feel like I'm doing a good job, you know, with the responses. And I'm all of a sudden, I'm just feeling very uncomfortable, like, something is wrong. And I feel that, you know, like the adjutant general is looking at my ribbons and I'm not going to look down and look at it, but I feel like something's not right here. This intuition, right? So done with the interview, shake hands. I go back to the ladies room to take my jacket off. And then I realize, oh my gosh, I put them on upside down. The entire <laughs> ribbon rack was flipped. Oh, because it was a perfect square, right? Oh, man. And I, I was like, oh, oh, my gosh, what do I do? Do I go back in and say, you know, I, I apologize and I, you know, tell them what happened? No, you can't do that. You can't do that. Let me make a bigger thing yeah. out of it. And it was like, I, I the job is mine. I've, I've lost it because I screwed up and I kicked myself. I mean, I beat myself up all the way home. I, I was mortified that this happened. Then, of course, later I get the call that, you know, I got the job and I was like, oh. So I asked the previous state command chief, I said, so who noticed the ribbons? And he said, nobody said anything. I didn't notice. Nobody else said it, that they noticed. 
I'm like, you've got to be kidding. So this is, I go back to this and I say, I spoke with a couple officers, a couple senior enlisted before I went into that interview, right? They didn't catch it. And no one in this, in this room that I'm going before this panel caught that my ribbons were upside down. Either that, or I want to believe that they were just so kind and gracious that they just didn't say anything. I just think about all the times that, you know, you send in NCOs of the quarter or, or Marine of the quarters and, and you, and you check for all that stuff. And then yeah. here it is. It just goes to yeah. show even the senior enlisted advisor exactly. for the Hawaiian for the, yeah. for the entire national guard can have a, can have an experience like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. It makes you humble. And, you know, so when, when you see that someone has a discrepancy, it, it just made me, I always treated people with respect when I, made a correction, but it just made me more humble because, you know, it happens to, to the best. 